So we created this family mission statement. And that idea is what might it look like for us to, to put ourselves in a position that forces us to rely on God rather than one that gives us an opportunity to rely on ourselves. Now, what are you laughing at? I love it, you know, I love yeah. it. So there's a study that came out about five years ago uh, by the Barna Group. And I'm sure you've read it, heard of it, a lot of people heard of it. Uh, basically said, if you add the numbers up, 83% of American churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. Like, that is unfathomable to me. The Mission Matters Podcast is a partnership between 1615 and Missio Nexus, who have a shared passion to mobilize the people of God to be a part of His mission. Welcome once again to the Mission Matters Podcast. I'm Matthew Ellison, and I'm normally joined by my good friend and co-host Ted Esler, but we're doing a different kind of podcast today. When we were at the Missio Nexus Missions Leaders Conference in Orlando recently, I had the chance to sit down with quite a few missions leaders and get their thoughts while Ted was running around leading the conference. If you've never been to the Missions Leaders Conference or the Parallel Conference, Church Missions Leaders Conference, you should definitely plan to join us September 2024 in Louisville. But for now, here are some of the highlights from conference speakers and attendees. Well, you never know who you're going to run into at the Missions Leaders Conference. No, you don't. No. And I'm here with Rob Wassel. If you've been following us, we're doing podcast episodes at the Missions Leaders Conference in Orlando. And if you've never been to the Missions Leaders Conference, now there's two conferences in one. It's the Missions Leaders Conference and the Church Missions Leaders Conference. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have the Church Missions Leader Conference first when you described it. I should have said that first. You absolutely should have. Okay, so Missio is really stepping into this space of how do we pull more churches, you know, connecting the church and the agency together. So it's great. So I run into Rob Wassel. The truth is I knew you were going to be here. Yeah, he did. I'm pretending this is random, but it's not random. It's not at all. In fact, the $5 you gave me to do this interview is... Yeah. Proof that it's not random. Well, I've also asked you like 10 times to visit the booth. So I'm pretending we just bumped into each other. I've been sitting is, here for 25 minutes. But the truth is you do never know who you're going to run into. That's right. So the theme of the conference is shift. We're in the midst of massive cultural upheaval, rapid social transformation. So I've got some questions that kind of, you know, play to those things. Um, Rob? Oh, who do you serve with? To tell us the organization you um, work yeah. with first. So I serve with Pioneers. I've been there for 17 and a half years. Yep. And I think I'm on my 13th position, something like that. Oh my gosh. 12th or 13th. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of, yeah. Talk about rapid transformation yeah, and yes. upheaval. It's attention deficit disorder is what it is. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah, so y- you probably can speak about shifting gears and all those things. Personally, I can. Yeah, yeah no yeah, doubt. That's good. So, Rob, uh, you've been involved in missions for a long time. I know that. We've been swinging swords together for many years. Um, tough question here. What is the greatest obstacle or barrier that you believe is keeping churches from deep engagement in missions today? Yeah, it is a tough question. Um, when I think of churches, um, probably not li- unlike most people, we think of them as often institutions mm-hmm. and organisms. And um, institutions only change when people within the institutions change. And my sort of theory of change is that people only change because of pain, pleasure, or leverage. So pain is, um, think like arterial bleed, got to put a tourniquet on it, or like I get kidney stones. So 
that'll cause you to change your diet, right. drink more water. Um, pleasure is, think John Piper, Christian hedonism. Yeah. The meta narrative of the gospel is so compelling and so powerful yeah. that it causes me to actually stop something um, I'm doing or take on something that I should do. It, it's the draw of the Holy Spirit yeah. to move away, to die to myself, John 12, 24. Yeah. That's pleasure, the meta narrative, drawing me out of something into something. Yeah. And then leverage is just what it sounds like. It's, it's an external force outside of me or my institution uh, that causes change. It forces change. It's, uh, it's disruption. And so what is the greatest obstacle? I think we're the greatest obstacle to change. We're the greatest obstacle to uh, engaging mm -hmm. because either we're not experiencing pain, we have too much of a homeostasis. Everything's okay. Everything's great. Um, we're, I'm not sure why the meta-narrative isn't necessarily drawing people into mm -hmm. um, global missions. And it is, for, it is for some, obviously, but um, shifting us from uh, local to global or nothing to global. Yeah. And then leverage. And again, leverage is that disruption. So I wonder if what's going to need to happen is we're going to need to see an external force that causes us to re, um, redirect our focus. Yeah. So I think when I look at the church, I think institution and organism yeah. Both elements are there, um, but as an institution, uh, we like to control the level of chaos and change that we, uh, you know, we don't like ambiguity yeah. and, and, and it's uncomfortable to be in a place of um, un unknown. Yeah. So I do wonder if what's going to need to happen is either we, we self-impose some kind of disruption to cause the change or we actually press into um, this idea of, of uh, focusing on the meta narrative, which is what you and yeah. your organization do. Yeah. So as you were talking, uh, I'm reminded of um, our, our diagnostic workshop that we okay. do with churches. So yeah. when a church is interested in our coaching process, it begins with a diagnostic. It's, we call it the discovery workshop. Mm -hmm. And we come in and we just ask questions and we help them to define their current missions reality. Mm -hmm. And if the leaders in the room, pastors, elders, a mix of missions leaders, if they're like, we're all good, I know my job is done. I can leave the room. Nothing's going to happen. But if they say, gosh, God must have more for us. Um, yeah. If they're frustrated with status quo, um, when we're training our coaches, we say, you're looking for divine discontent. When that diagnostic workshop happens, is there divine discontent in the room? If there is, they're candidates for the coaching process. So you need to mention that pain piece. Um, Something else comes to mind. You talk about the pleasure piece, you know, the joy of being a part of the meta narrative. And, and, I, and I think of, you know, the, the prophetic call to the church when you call them to missions, it's a call to sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. But those sacrifices lead to some of the most amazing joy I believe that's available this side of heaven. Yeah. So, in, in calling people into the mission of God, we have to be realistic. It's going to require sacrifice yeah. and suffering, but we're not calling you away from joy. We're calling, calling you, you to it. To it. Yeah, no doubt. I think it was, um, gosh, Paul Brandt, Brand, Brandt, missionary to India. And he tells the story of 
you know, looking at missionaries and the sacrifices they were making. And the inclination is to see the sacrifices they're making and to feel sorry for them. He said, but exactly the opposite happens because you watch these rare individuals who are giving away their life in the cause of world missions. And he said, they have attained a level of joy and contentment that is foreign to most people in America. So I love what you're saying because is there this recognition that God, there must be more. There's that divine discontent or wow, there's joy to be had and we're missing it. Um, One more thing comes to mind as you were sharing. Um, Acts 1-8, Acts 8-1. Acts 1-8, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, right? The church didn't do Acts 1-8. So God did Acts 8, 1, mm. right? Persecution sets in, leverage. Yeah. Um, there's disruption caused by God yeah. and the church finally disperses. So mm. anyway, I just hear what you said and I'm like, wow, there's all these connections. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah um, that's good. Let's end on a positive. Okay. What's the greatest missions opportunity before churches today? I think it is the exponential change we're seeing. Like we see the exponential change. Yeah. And we think, oh, that's a problem to be fixed. But, and I don't know how to solve the problem, but I do think we need to reframe the way we look at that and say, no, actually, this is, a, this is a, an opportunity to step into. Um, and I think as we reframe that and start thinking about these problems as opportunities and, and, and praying around those opportunities, we'll see God open something up um, that's above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And I do think it's that, again, it's that reframing, how we look at things, the assumptions we make about them. Mm-hmm. I think if we can, we can um, um, flip that script yeah. and understand God works in these unique paradoxes. Yeah. And if we see that as a paradox to step into, I would imagine God's gonna do something interesting. Yeah, beautiful. One more question, off script. Mm. You didn't know I was gonna ask this. No. Really? No, I, no. <laughs> I know you five did. bucks, it's five <laughs> bucks. <laughs> I know. Um, what's been impactful in your own life? Like something that just pulled you into missions or a book you read or a reason? What is something that just drew you to this? Can you cite anything in particular? Yeah, well, yeah, yes. Um, I'll tell you what's, where it started. Um, was serving in a church years ago and could not come to the point of determining, was this God or was this just coincidence. Everything had become in the gray. Um, I couldn't discern power from the Holy Spirit. Um, and everything we saw, my wife and I just thought this, we don't know what we're seeing anymore. Uh, it was a lot of facade, just a lot of activity, but I'm not sure there was a lot of uh, outcome from the Holy Spirit. So we created this family mission statement. And that idea is what might it look like for us to, to put ourselves in a position that forces us to rely on God rather than one that gives us an opportunity to rely on ourselves. Now, what are you laughing at? I love it. You know, I love yeah, it. That's it. So that's what did it. And we actually ended up going overseas for a while. We actually had, and we had a really rough experience, but it didn't change the way we thought about missions. And um, we realized we can't in our current context see if we're relying on ourselves or God because it's so easy. Yeah. And so that's what did it for us. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Brother, thank you so much, yeah, man. Thanks. What a great interview. Thank yeah, you. No, awesome. Thank you. Well, I'm with my good friend, Pastor Jeremy Wynn. He serves at Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka, Kansas. And I had the privilege of walking alongside his church several years ago, helping you to really clarify your global mission, develop vision and strategy. And it's been a great journey, brother. 
It's absolutely been a joy, Matthew. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of the podcast and even more importantly, inviting me to be a part of your life. Yeah, thank you, brother. Well, listen, we coming into this conference, uh, we surveyed a lot of the registrants and we asked them if you were in front of a, a panel of leading missions, experts, practitioners, thinkers, what's the one question you would ask? And they came up with a long list of questions. We distilled them and I'm just going to throw a couple of them your way today. Great. All right. You've not heard these. I haven't heard these. (laughs) All right. So given the the growth of the global church, especially in what we call the global south, Uh do we still go or do we just focus on empowering non-Americans? Well, the answer really is both and, right? Like we definitely want to empower local leaders. And a, a core thing that we have at our church is deep relationships. Like we hold to that. And so we really want to, as we have partners in different places, especially harder reaches places, places in the world, we want to partner well with them and come alongside them, empower them, have just a mutual relationship where we're not just saying, Hey, here's what we think you should do, but we hear, Hey, how, what, how can we help you? And then also, Hey, here's things that we can learn from you. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, we also are, are called to go and it, it is shifting some, but I think what it looks like now is where are those places where the local church cannot reproduce itself? Right. Where are there those people groups, those unreached languages, people's cultures, where the gospel is not there yet. And so how can we send and go to those places, not to take over, but how to come alongside locals, share the gospel with them, and get them to a place where they're able to actually lead their own church. Now that's hard to do, and it takes a long time. But that is where where our church's focus is in in the investment. And And I think if as the church we can figure out how to do that well, I think we can really continue to have an impact and I know the process is hard. I know it takes a long time, but we're launching a, a couple right now to go uh, to Southeast Asia and it is galvanizing for our church. Yeah. So even though it's been like almost a three year process for them to get trained and fundraise all this stuff to be equipped to go to a hard place, yeah. as they're doing this, our church is rallied behind them. Yeah. We are excited to send them. We're excited to pray for them. We're excited to support them. We're excited to be a part of their journey to see what God's going to do in some of these unreached places. Yeah. I love your answer. It's not either or, it's both and. And One of the things that makes me nervous in the missions world is this silver bullet mentality. You know, no matter what it is, like this is the way it has to be done. And so, yes, we should by all means be partnering with indigenous believers where that's viable, um, where it makes sense, where it's strategic. And there are places where it makes sense to continue to send our own workers. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned galvanizing, I love that word. Uh, one of the things I've thought over the years is that the church can't afford not to send. Yeah, that's right. Um, if we do missions by proxy entirely, mm-hmm. if we just outsource missions to others, yep. we'll be spiritually anemic. And so I love your approach that yes, we're partnering with nationals in places where that is the right mm-hmm. you know, application. Yep. And then where that's not a possibility, we're gonna send our own people. So man, I really resonate with that answer. So. Jeremy, what's the most impactful thing or program you have done or been a part of regarding missions in the life of your church? So the most impactful thing that you've been a part of? Um, 
let me share what's the most impactful right now. Okay. How about that? Yeah. Um, so with uh, within this uh, the crisis that has been going on with Ukraine, yep. there's been a huge opportunity for refugees. So we live in Topeka, Kansas. So uh, Governor Sam Brownback used to be our governor. Now he's an ambassador. And when the situation was happening actually in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. he reached out to our church, some other churches in the area to say, would you be open to care for some of these refugees that are happening? So we made ourselves available. Turns out Topeka didn't have the infrastructure to be able to do that, so they went to Kansas City. Okay. But God grew something in our heart to be available to care for refugees. So then when the situation in Ukraine happened, we actually have a lady in our church that's from Ukraine that moved here about 10 years ago. And when the situation happened, she just was a lightning rod to help bring people in because she had the relationships, the yeah. connections. And so Topeka has become a hub for Ukrainian refugees. Wow. And so we started from scratch this ministry and this other lady that's been a part of our church has started a nonprofit. Our church is partnering with her. We're, we're working with our city, with our, with other churches, with our nonprofits. And I mean, I, I can't remember the number, but I mean, it's like well over 50 refugees and it's growing and it, it could continue to grow. There's not a lack of them have been coming to Topeka and our church has just embraced this. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've opened up their homes, let them in their homes. They're part of helping furnish apartments. They're helping the, the kids get into school and, I mean, get counseling as they're navigating through trauma. I mean, all the different things that it takes to move from one country to another. And our church just, just bought in at a relational level. And it was not planned. It wasn't on the strategic plan. Yeah. But we just, we said as a church, we want to be available as God brings things to us. And this is something that God just put in our lap. And it's just exploded. Amazing. So, and it's been fun. Yeah. So you said something immediate, and then yeah. were you going to say something? Um, I'm trying to. Think. I, that's definitely been one of the things more most recently. Yeah. I think this this uh, this couple that we're about to send out. Yeah. I think that's going to be really galvanizing yeah. uh, as well. But we've sent some other um, couples out. Uh, we have one couple that's been in Japan. I mean, our church just loves them. They're yeah. just such a fun couple, and our church loves getting their their updates and requests and pray for them. And when they get back and they're able to be on stage and share, like people just get energized yeah. and and life from them. So the more connection and relationship there is with initiatives, yeah. the more churches bought in. Whether it's Ukrainian families that are literally getting to know in their mm -hmm. schools in the Sunday school and that type of thing, or whether it's relationships with with missionaries that we've sent out that we have true relationships with. Yeah or partners that we have built long-term relationships with, when it's a real person, a real face, a real story, our church just buys in. Yeah. I think that's something that surfaces one of the ways you do missions, and I know this because I was a part of the yeah. process, but yeah. you have a focus. Yes. You don't just say yes to every funding request, yeah. because if you're supporting, you know, 75, 100 disparate things, it's very hard to get your congregation to own it and understand it. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Well, we have a we have a stewardship team that, uh, as requests come in, we have a, a filter and a grid, and I'll talk about our focus area. But I mean, we say no probably to nine out of ten things. Yeah. And the reason we say no to nine out of ten things is so that we can say yes to ten out of ten requests from our partners and yeah. our focus yeah. area. And so, yeah, our focus area it's it's India, and uh, we've got lots of different partnerships and um, church planting and things like that that we're engaged in and an unreached people group. And so that's where we want our yes to be. Yeah. And our yes is focused again around relationship and it's around requests that we get from our partners as we work together. And so we, we want to be a healthy relationship. We don't want to be toxic one way, all that type of thing. But we want to be focused and zoned in on there. We want our church family mm -hmm. to know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And we're just, 
we're in a culture where we're bombarded with updates and news and posts and all this type of thing. So not only from a funding place can we not say yes to all this stuff, sure. but even from our church body really feeling connected and knowing the stories, the more we have, it might sound like we're doing more good things, but we're actually watering it down and not able to really focus and have a true yeah. impact. And if, if every church and organization did that type of thing, then we're all very focused in and zoned in and deep on one area and that's thriving. And then everyone else says there are other places that God's calling them to uniquely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Like if another church says, oh, we've, man, we have no connection to India, but we're really involved you know, in Cambodia or some other unreached place, that's awesome, yeah. you know? Yeah. You keep using the word relationship and deep relationship. And I think it's interesting because as I talk to churches, one of the reasons they hesitate to say no to people yeah. who are asking for funding is we love them. You know, we value relationships. But the truth is if they're throwing, you know, money to the four winds and attention to the four winds, they're never going to have the relationship they desire. So it seems counterintuitive. I know. But, you know, the way to build relationships is to go deep. And so knowing your church, you probably support less initiatives than many churches your size, but you support them much deeper. And there's, you know, again, that, that strong relational connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard saying no. Yeah. Uh, I think though, it can be easy to, to almost kind of put some of the onus on us of like, well, if we say no to this, like, is there work going to happen? It's a good work, all this stuff. Yeah. And sometimes I just ask like, are we trusting God that if, if he hasn't called us to that, yeah. we can still say that is a good, work. a good work. And if that's a good work that they are called to, like God's going to provide the right partner yeah. to come alongside yeah. them. So I just know for me, I can almost have, you know, on a really bad day, like want to have like a savior complex of like, oh, I want to save this. I want to save yes. this. They need me. God, they don't need me. God doesn't need me. Yeah. Like, so how am I being obedient to listen and be faithful to things that God has called me to yeah. and trust that God's going to provide even more abundantly and even better yeah. for those things that he hasn't called me to yeah. and our church too. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that really stands out to me about your church's missions, vision, and strategy, which I know well, is that you spent a season of prayer yeah. and yeah. thinking and saying, God, what have you called us to? And a lot of churches haven't done that. So they don't know how to respond to all these requests that are coming from every direction. So th that process is valuable. Yeah. So um, one more question. What do you believe is the greatest missions opportunity before churches today? Oh, man. Uh, I guess I'm, I have to think about it a little bit more, but I, I don't feel like there's necessarily one because I think that God has placed different churches and different places with different relationships, with different connections, with different opportunities for divine serendipity, yeah. uh, as, as you've shared before. So I, I think the greatest opportunity begins with prayer, with persistent prayer and saying, God, what is that greatest opportunity yeah. Yeah. that you're putting in front of us for us to say yes to? Yeah. Because if I were to say like, oh, I think it's refugees, someone may be in a community where uh, the, the government just says, no, you don't have the resource. Like, you're not a good fit. We're going to go to another city or whatever. Oh, I guess we're missing out on our greatest opportunity. No. Like, wh what is, because just because it's not that, there is something that God can put in front of you that yeah. God maybe already has put in front of you. So yeah. I just think it begins with prayer and listening and just being available. Because it may be something that you never thought before, yeah. something that you haven't processed, something that you hadn't heard of before. Um, and just to be obedient within that. 
So I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. And I think that's beautiful because then God can use each of us individually, our own gifts, strengths, and abilities to help bring to fruition the totality of what God wants to do in this lifetime. And I really resonate with that. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. It wasn't a gotcha question, but you're so right. The greatest opportunity is to pray. And, you know, we've often talked about the church in Antioch of Syria in Acts yep. chapter 13. Yep. The vision to reach the Gentiles was born out of the prayer chamber in Antioch. Right. And they rooted that calling in the Old Testament prophecies. Yep. But it was out of that prayer chamber that the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart these men mm -hmm. for the work of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. So that's a great place to stop, man. Yeah. What's the greatest opportunity? It's to seek God <laughs> and say, right. what have you called us as that's a church right. to do? Yeah. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Matthew. My friend, tell us who you are. Tell us about the organization you work with. And thirdly, I want to know the strangest food you've ever eaten. I love it. So who are you? Who yeah. do you work with? Strange food. So Luke Womack uh, from California. And nine years ago, started an organization called Arrow. And Arrow has a vision to end missions. And uh, we do that by eliminating barriers. Um, student debt is one of them for missionaries. Um, another one is the missionless churchgoer. Uh, so those are two of the barriers we're working on. And man, strangest food um, that I've ever eaten. So I went to Japan on a mission trip a while ago. And actually, I, like, I love Japanese food. Uh, but I had this, like, weird old egg thing. I don't know if it was a century egg. Century egg, egg. yeah. Like, yeah. century egg. <laughs> that it. And uh, man, I, it almost put me in the grave early. Like, that thing was, was uh, pretty special. So if you don't know what a century egg is or viewing audience um, it's an egg that is marinated in something and then they bury it yes and it's black and it's yeah that's right and it's fermented it's disgusting yeah it's terrible for those of you who like century eggs i'm really sorry i called that disgusting if like you know that's a something you love forgive me yeah. anyway well listen um let's talk a little bit about those barriers um the, the barrier of student debt keeping candidates from the field potential missionaries and then the yeah, the missionless church. The missionless church. Yeah. Let's talk about those. Yeah, I would love to. So, yeah, I went on a mission trip in 2011 uh, to India, and man, my whole life changed. Like before, I went on this trip, I thought missions was for other people. If I'm being honest, my mission in life, if if you want to call it that, uh, was just making a lot of money and spending it on myself. Yeah. Like I call it the rich lie that I was believing. Yeah. And so my whole life was about that, man. I, I read books about business. I wrote down the, the goal my freshman year to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And my whole life was just about making money. And then I went to India in 2011 for two months. And I remember seeing men, women, and children. And I realized these people will all be born, live their entire lives, and never hear the gospel. Like, that was shocking to me. Like, how can that be? These people are lost and nobody is coming to find them. And somehow like being a rich CEO wasn't as important to me. Yeah. And so I would say in that season, I moved from my rich lie to the rich life. And the rich life ironically has very little to do with money. That's right. Right. It's about stepping into God's purpose to see his glory praise through Jesus among the nations. So I get back from that trip. I'm like, so what do I do? Like I saw this, I want to be a part of this. What do I actually do? And I realized I could go myself and go overseas and that would be great. And man, what if I could help get like five people overseas or maybe 10? Like that would be a life worth living right there. 
And so I started calling my peers. Like, I literally just phoned about 100 people. That was back in 2014 and just said, hey, have you ever considered a career in long-term missions to the unreached? Like, I opened with that. They're like, I'm sorry, who are you? I'm like, we went to college together. I had your phone number. Yeah. But it was like a Christian school that talks about missions a lot, so I figured that was a good place to start. Yeah. And, and not everyone said yes, but some people did. They said, yeah, I've thought about being a missionary. Yeah. And my second question was, well, why are you not there right now? And I kid you not, every person who said yes to the first question had the same answer to the second question. Student debt, student debt, student debt. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it. I didn't go in thinking, oh, student debt's a barrier. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I was ignorant to that. And that's when we started Arrow. We realized, oh, there's a real barrier here. Unless all these people are blowing smoke, they'll actually go overseas if we pay their student debt. I don't think they're bluffing. And so we started raising funds. And sure enough, the first few families went out as we took on their student debt. Mm. So that's the first barrier we've worked on for the last nine years. Uh, we've committed $6.3 million to 123 missionaries, all going long-term to the unreached uh, through their local church. Wow. And we have an ambition to approve um, about the same amount more. We want to get to 250 by 2025. So that's barrier number one. And, and it's alive and well, and the problem is as significant as it ever was yeah. um, when it comes to student debt. Uh, the second barrier that we're working on is the missionless churchgoer. So there's a study that came out about five years ago uh, by the Barna Group. And I'm sure you've read it, heard of it, a lot of people mm -hmm. heard of it. Uh, basically said, if you add the numbers up, 83% of American churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission yeah. is. Like, that is unfathomable to me. Like, I'm fortunate, okay? I'm spiritually privileged. I grew up in a home where my dad was sharing the gospel and Bible stories with me every single night. And so I had this knowledge of the Great Commission. Um, but ironically, I wasn't doing anything about it. So what's the difference, right? You know about it and, and you don't do anything about it. Like, but we want to see people who know about the Great Commission and do something about it. And so that's why we started the missions course. It's a six-week course that invites believers to learn about God's heart for the nations in the context of their local church, or they could take it online on their own yeah. um, at themissionscourse.com and just learn about this stuff. So see if I can remember the lessons. Lesson number one is the thread. So Genesis to Revelation, the main theme of the Bible is God's purpose, yeah. which is his glory praise through Jesus among the nations. Like you gotta start there, mm -hmm. right? And then lesson number two, right after that, it's funny, we skip this in missions, but we go to Acts. Like Acts and the Great Commission. Like after Jesus gives the Great Commission and, and some of his last words, right? I think his last words before he ascends into heaven, Acts 1.8. Like, and then what happens after that, right? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What happens after that? It's the book of Acts. So we want to like talk about and think about what did the early church do with the Great Commission? So that's lesson number two. Lesson number three is missionaries to know. So we go through, I mean, there's so many, you can pick dozens or hundreds of great historical missionaries, but we just pick five missionaries in the modern missionary era. Uh, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, Amy Carmichael, and John Payton, and just talk about their stories. Mm -hmm. Here's five to talk about. Go read their bios and learn about more, but here's a sampler. Lesson number four, uh, we get into the unfinished task. So it's like Missiology 101, right? It's what is an unreached people group? And what's the 1040 window? Where are unreached people, et cetera? And then uh, number five, lesson number five, um, is uh, church planning. So we actually have a, a missionary, successful missionary who's come back um, who talks about church planning principles and their story. And then we finish with number six, and this is the key. Lesson number six is your role. Mm -hmm. And so often in missions training and teaching, we don't get there. Like we talk about 
all the stuff, lessons one through five, but we never get to this point where we actually talk about what to do, right? And that was one of my struggles is I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about four roles, right? There's four roles that I believe any Christian can play when it comes to missions. Go there, go here, send by praying, send by giving. So go there is what you would think of with a missionary, right? But it's not, it's not just that. Like everyone has a role to play in missions. So certainly missionaries can't be the only ones, right? So go there, go here, right? That means, and there's internationals, immigrants, and refugees probably in your city, mm-hmm. right? So what would it look like for you to go reach them, invite them into your home, right? Don't just talk to your neighbors that look like you, think like you, talk like you, but go across the city. Yeah. They've come 99% of the way to you. Like, share your home with them, share your life, and share the gospel. That's go here. Send by praying, fairly obvious, but Jesus told us to, to ask him to send out laborers into his harvest. Like, let's do that. And that is missions. If you do that, you are doing missions. Because that's how missions starts, is with prayer. And then the last one is send by giving, right? As we give toward people, much like, you know, Andrew Fuller did with William Carey, among others, right, historically, he was doing missions by giving to the work of William Carey. Mm-hmm. And so go there, go here, send by praying, send by giving. So two barriers we're working on, uh, student debt for missionaries, and also trying to decrease the number of uninformed churchgoers, because that was me for so long. Yeah. And uh, we, we just wanna serve the church in that way. Yeah. So I was gonna ask you about the greatest obstacle or barrier that keeps people from engaging in missions, but I think you already hit them. Yeah. You know, honestly, we could ask the question, like why are people uninformed? And there's a few potential answers to that. One of the answers could be, man, the church pastor is not faithfully preaching the text. And, and honestly, we found that's not normally the case. Certainly there are some pastors who aren't faithful to the word of God, but in, in evangelical churches all across America, a lot of pastors are talking about this stuff and they're talking about the Great Commission and the role we need to play. Uh, I think a lot of people just don't wanna hear it. A lot of people are more interested in the rich lie than they are in the rich life, right? It's, it's money or it's security or it's comfort, the creature comforts, whatever it might be. But ironically, these people are actually looking for the very thing that they're ignoring. They're looking for the rich life. And the rich life, I believe, is not about money. It's not about security. It's not about how many kids you have. Um, it's not about how big your house is, right? And, and to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Having a big family or an awesome house or a lot of money in your bank account, that's not necessarily evil. If you haven't made those things, you're a God, right? But the rich life is all about looking at God's purpose, not not what's my purpose. Don't start there. Start with God's purpose. What is his purpose? His purpose is his glory praise through Jesus among the nations. And when you make that the priority and the passion for your life, that's when your life starts to become rich. And man, I can tell you for myself, like, this is what I was looking for. No, I wasn't a guy who made, you know, tens of millions of dollars and found that that was empty. But guess what? I don't have to. Number one, I'm not smart enough to do that, right? Number two, we have the book of Ecclesiastes. Just go read Ecclesiastes. And this guy had all the stuff. And he said it's meaningless, meaningless under the sun. So I believe the rich life that that most people are looking for, these uninformed churchgoers, it actually will come to them as they make God's purpose the priority and passion of their life. And I think a lot of pastors are preaching that and people just aren't ready to listen. Yeah. Brother, great conversation. Appreciate you. How can they find out more about your ministry? Yeah, Uh, they can go to aeromissions.com. Spell that out. Yeah, it's A-I-R-O, so aeromissions.com. And they can learn about our programs, the GoFund and the missions course. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Before you go, 
Be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. The Mission Matters Podcast is a partnership of 1615 and Missio Nexus. Check out 1615.org and missionexus.org for more resources on the mission of God and the matters of the mission. The Mission Matters Podcast is hosted by Matthew Ellison, President of 1615, and Ted Essler, President of Missio Nexus.